Hello, and welcome to episode one of Modulation Meets. This is a music discovery podcast, and today we'll be talking to one of our favourite artists, Park Zero. Over the last three years, Park Zero has released some of our favourite experimental and power noise albums, leading to her most recent 2023 electronic release, The Burning Sky as Our Campfire. We'll be asking Park Zero about her new album, as well as exploring her favourite and most influential music. This episode features discussion around the death of a friend of Park Zero's, which some listeners may find distressing. With that, I hope you enjoy listening to episode one of Modulation Meets. So cool. Yeah, it's, it's really nice to have you uh, have you on the pod um, after such a long time. Obviously, you've got some new music out. Um, would you like to sort of talk a little bit about what you've been up to recently? Well, my newest album is kind of a, a heavy departure from my usual stuff, which is the loudest mm-hmm. dance music you've ever heard. And now it's kind mm-hmm. of... I've had some rough experiences, and so now it's kind of a lot softer and it's a lot more emotionally resonant. And uh, people seem to be enjoying it, which is good. Good change of pace rather than a bad change of pace. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we could get into some of the reasons why the things that happened that kind of led to me uh, not quite having my fight left in me anymore. But it's uh, it, 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 it's a it's a good thing, I think. Yeah, I mean, if if you want to talk about your 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 welcome, if you don't, then you know we don't have to dive into it. Um, I guess I, I I wanted to sort of ask about the uh, the sort of general way you you start to build up these projects and like, I guess. Is it something that you sort of have pre-planned out or is this music something that you sort of start experimenting with and, and see where it ends up? I just kind of start making stuff and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> the longest part of the process, which there's usually six months between albums, maybe sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's generally that I will have the music done in like four months and that could be a month on, month off, month on, month off kind of thing. But the, the biggest part of the process is trying to piece it all together into something coherent. <laughs> right. So is that something that, that is quite technically demanding? So I, I, I have never tried to produce music. Uh, is that something that is quite technically demanding from a sort of, uh, as in like trying to construct sounds within the door? Or is that something that's more sort of theoretically difficult, like trying to piece together bits that sort of make sense as music i guess it's i mean it's it's no no part of the process is easy but i guess the actual making of the music is slightly more simple on my end i find a lot of that kind of noodling around finding interesting sounds kind of expanding on that a lot more more kind of fun and less maddening than than having you know all these pieces of music and having to cut songs that i like and having to you know say what works for the album, what doesn't work for the album, you know, what adds to the vibe, what takes away from the vibe, what, what you know, segues properly, what doesn't. It's it's really hard to balance a thing like that because it's all kind of relying on, like, your synesthesia about what, what, what comes together right. in some kind of a co- cohesive property. It's not like, you know, writing a story or whatever. It's it's harder to, to, to put together something that abstract. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And, and is that something that's influenced by people you're working with actively so like i wanted to ask you about um sort of collabing with avenade on burning sky like how, how did that sort of influence the process uh not a lot <laughs> i'd had this i'd had this one song that was really weird and i sent it to a buddy of mine and they'd said it was kind of barely even a dance song you know it's more like a rock song and avenade is someone mm-hmm. who i'd been speaking to for a little bit because we wanted to work together because he was a big fan of my uh, album m and i'm a big fan of all right. this stuff and uh 
so I just thought, you know, here's somebody who does rock music. Here's a song that's kind of rocky. Let me send it to him. And then he just he just did the vocals. <laughs> and then that it just worked. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, I am. I'm also a, a big fan of Avenade stuff. It's cool to sort of see the crossover uh, with the more rocky stuff. I guess so, like, talking about Emma a little bit, um, obviously I, I've spoken about some of your releases before and we've, we've talked about some of the Power Noise stuff that you've done. Um, how did you end up finding your way into making Power Noise, like, originally? Like, is that something you'd want to go back to or is, is that sort of, is that something you're, you're sort of happy you've, you've finished with or, you know, is there more, more to explore there? Well, never say never because, you know, I said I'd never make an undistorted album and then here we are. But... Um, <laughs> I don't know, it's something I, I'd definitely like to come back to, but I think if I did, it would be in some kind of different form. I'd want to do like a DJ mix or a mixtape or something a little little weirder, a little less kind of uh, demanding on the cohesiveness aspect. <laughs> um, right. The way I kind of fell into making it is just... Um, I'd been making noise stuff for a little bit as a break from making ambient stuff, which I was doing before then. And yeah. uh, I fell in love with dance music because it infected me. I'd started listening to, you know, like uh, Scream and early James Blake stuff and Over Mono and kind of, you know, all these, you know, Blau and all these kind of dance acts. So that it, it kind of sticks in your head, the kind of repetitiveness and the, 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 the whole structure of it. Because it's very, it's yeah, very yeah, yeah. simple dance music and it kind of gets at you. So uh, more and more, it just kind of felt like the, the more sensical thing to make because you, you, I kind of have an in, instinctive way of knowing you know this is the part where the vocals come in this is the part where they should drop out this is the part where the drum should go a bit heavier this is the part where the drum should lighten up you know it, it, it has right. more of a, a a guideline right that's really cool i guess yeah it's it's sort of it's cool to think that it's kind of a sort of an innate natural feeling towards it as opposed to a, a sort of more structured process um how did you how did you end up getting into music in the first place like is that something that, that sort of someone guided you to or you just discovered by yourself or well i had started getting into it in school where i had basically on a whim decided to start taking guitar lessons and nice, i realized nice. very quickly that i'm not good at playing the guitar <laughs> <laughs> like i am absolutely <laughs> atrocious and so uh but at one point during that process process i had a, a friend of mine named aurora who was a real pretentious person <laughs> they they mm -hmm. love you know their jazz and their zolo and the kind of Stuff that I just absolutely could not understand as, you know, like a 15-year-old. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I had made a song, and by a song I mean I had plucked some guitar notes into Audacity and drowned them in every effect there was. And I sent it to them as a joke, just like, you know, it's the kind of music you're into, haha. <laughs> and uh, they did a very, very cruel thing, which is they supported me and said, hey, this is really good, actually. And yeah, it yeah, yeah. fed into all my narcissistic tendencies, and so I've just kept going. Oh yeah, nice. No, that 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 kind of tracks with uh, my experience of making art as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you about uh, your thoughts on the experimental label uh, of music. Um, do you think that captures the essence of your work at all, or is it sort of more of a nonsense term for for when we can't properly label things? Like, how would how would you describe your music? Uh, well, the answer to the first question is both. It's definitely a, a total <laughs> nonsense label that is thrown around when something is a little bit left of center, even though, you know, most stuff is left of center. Yeah, um, of course. But most of my music is basically an experiment and just kind of, you know, seeing what I can get away with, seeing, you know, 
what I could do. I don't like sticking things in kind of rigid formulas. I like doing things that are a little bit eclectic and a little bit weird and a little bit, you know, veers side to side rapidly. I like that kind of stuff where it's, you know, it's more expensive in that kind of way. But um, I don't know what I'd call my music. There was a, a joking term that a friend of mine had come up with a long time ago, which I liked, which was uh, hyper-deconstructionism, which I thought that okay. fitted. And uh, I've liked that. But it, it's also a meaningless nonsense word, so I don't know if I can pick that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen the word deconstructed show up in music genres more and more lately. And uh, yeah, it's, it's sort of equally great and weird. Um, so I, I've got kind of one more question about your music before we uh, move on a little bit, which was... Um, sort of thinking about audiences. So when you're being artistic, artistically expressing yourself, is that something you, is the audience something you take into mind uh, when you're doing that? Do you think about sort of potentially alienating them or um, do you not care? Uh, you shouldn't care. <laughs> it's, the, <laughs> it's, the, it's the correct answer for, any, for anyone who's <laughs> listening at home. You know, you should not care. But I, I think every artist cares at least a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely, I keep it in the back of my head that uh, some stuff's going to really land for people and some stuff really isn't. But uh, uh, this album was definitely my sellout album. Yeah, <laughs> this was definitely the one where I thought, you know, I'll focus more on having a cohesive vibe and I'll, you know, I'll, uh, I'll make it a little bit softer in the hopes of kind of attracting more people but you know you're, you it was always going to be made regardless you know if everyone stopped caring tomorrow there would still be more park zero music in the world you know yeah 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 that's, that's really cool i mean i guess by the time you get the down tempo label on on rate your music you're kind of done for really like there's there's nothing <laughs> there's not, nothing else to sell out over there are no more um, worlds to conquer no that's it that's it uh okay well that that's really awesome um so in the, the sort of the spirit of the, the format of this, um, we've got some slightly off kilter questions to to ask you and sort of explore your your history with music in general. Um, so to start off with, I'd like to ask you, what's the first album you ever bought? Uh, the first album I ever bought bought. If yeah, I'm gonna say physically because I don't know how to talk about digital mm. things, I don't know if downloads count <laughs> or whatever. But uh, the first album I ever bought bought was probably Virtue by The Voids. I was a big Julian Casablancas fan when I was uh, a little bit younger. That kind of, that, that most of my early upper school years are, are heavily soundtracked by that album. Mm. So, so was, um, God, so I'm, I'm losing my mind now. Uh, were The Strokes a band that you had sort of been exposed to growing up or was that something you discovered a little bit later? I had been exposed to them, you know, the same way everyone else had been exposed to them, which is, you know, I probably heard Soma on the radio like once or yeah. I'd, I'd seen the you music video for Reptilia. You Only once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's you hear the, I think, hear the big I think singles. I played Reptilia on Guitar Hero and I was like, oh yeah, this is a cool band. And I didn't really get into This Is It till later. <laughs> yeah, they're a band that I think's around a lot, but I think their influence is slowly waning uh, you know mm -hmm. I, i'd probably heard lcd sound system before i ever heard the strokes you know right uh, but it, it, when virtue came out by the voids it was just an album that really really clicked for me and it had kind of the exact kind of vibe you'd want if you're going to be you know on a long bus ride every day <laughs> you know it's like <laughs> it just suited where i was at in my in my uh, life yeah i guess that makes sense is there a download that sticks out to you Oh God! Uh, or am I am I putting you two on the spot there? 
Oh god, I'm, you're not putting two on the spot. It's just something that's hard to think about, and in the sense of albums, um, I downloaded King Gizzard's Polygon to Wonderland a long, long, uh, long, long, long time ago, and nice. I listened to that <laughs> obsessively because it was free and available, <laughs> and it was good. It's yeah, good yeah, yeah. It, I, I, I really like that album. Um, funnily enough, that's the uh, that's the song we use as the intro for the podcast because it's uh, there, there's no licensing on it. It's the perfect uh, Big brain. It's the perfect album to just completely rip off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so okay. Uh, to rip off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so next question: uh, Which album have you heard the most? Okay, it's probably a tie, and both of the both mm-hmm. both of them are Kanye West releases, which is slightly blasphemous yeah, yeah, yeah. to me. The first one is Push T's Daytona, which I think is probably the best of his, like, 2016 produced album stuff, 2018, right. whatever year it was. Because that album just has all the best beats and all the best bars, and it's, like, 20 minutes. <laughs> so I listen to it obsessively. Yeah. And uh, the other one is probably um, Yeezus, because Yeezus is just always good. It's just a great album. <laughs> you know, I can totally see how Yeezus might have, uh, you know, in some weird way, uh, influenced some of the production that you've done. Yeah, definitely that kind of uh, industrial hip hop, but a little bit, a little bit sweeter, a little bit weirder. Kind of, it definitely stuck in my mind. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because I, I think for like a lot of, probably not for I reverse, but like for a lot of mainstream listeners, that was their sort of first time hearing anything distorted. Certainly for my my parents, my parents heard Jesus when it came out, and they were they were horrified by uh, by how it sounded. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really cool one. Uh, I also, I, I really like the, the Pusha T pick. I guess in a way, a 20 minute album is probably something you can listen to quite a lot, but yeah, it was a really, a really interesting time in the Kanye. Obviously it's not a Kanye album, but it's sort of heavily influenced. Um, yeah. Around the time he was doing like, he did some interview where he was like, oh, all the all albums should be 20 minutes long. And then he released a couple of albums that were 20 minutes long that were really good. Uh, yeah, he made a and then, solid argument. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know and then he went off the deep end uh, that's you know that's that's a whole other story but um yeah awesome um so next up what is the most underappreciated album this wasn't one i had to think about much at all when you gave me the questions mm-hmm. it's uh lolita storms girls fucking shit up which is a fantastic album and we're, we're <laughs> going to talk about it because it's really great i i would love to talk so to go on to, I, i've never heard this album um what was what's this about? Okay, well, first I want to clarify for the record the Lolita part of Lolita Storms because they were like a, a riot girly thing in like the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. They're they're not they're not like a breakcore band. <laughs> I want to clarify for the record ahead <laughs> of time. Um, but they were one of the first bands that ever joined the digital hardcore like actual record label that uh, the Atari Teenage Riot guy had made. And right. they are fantastic because of how terrible they are, and it has appealed to me so much that I've kept listening forever. Because every song is bad, and it's all the same breakbeat on, like, all of the tracks, and it's all of the choruses are, like, sing-song melodies where they do, like, group vocal harmonies and sing, you know, whatever before they start singing about how much they want to get fucked again. It's just, like, (laughs) it's total mindless, stupid insanity, and it is one of the best things I've ever heard, and they've influenced me a lot, (laughs) but I'm not surprised they didn't really take off in the year 2000. They should come back. The TikTok kids would love them. Okay, I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, 
Yeah, it's a real shame they didn't stick around. Uh, I think they were maybe a bit before their time looking at look, looking at the release page of this. Um, I, a few things stick out to me. I love that the only band in Related Artists is called Joan of Ass. Um, <laughs> that's, that's really great. Uh, uh, yeah, actually, I actually didn't even know that... Um, I didn't realize that Digital Hardcore was a label. Um, wow. I'm aware of Digital... I'm aware, I know, I know. I'm, I'm sure my... Uh, Share my uh, my new newbiness. Um, yeah, I, I've, I'm sort of aware of digital hardcore music, but uh, I, I didn't know. I it believe came from that's a... where the the genre term came from. It was uh, yeah, the Atari Teenage Riot guy, uh, Alec Empire. Is that his name? And he went and made yeah, labels. Right. It was all the good stuff. It's all good stuff. Nice. Okay. Oh, that's that's another uh, avenue I need to go uh, go down and have a good look at. That looks really cool. So. Moving on, uh, what is the most interesting physical release you own? Okay, we're gonna, this is this is the bummer hour, so we're going to start being a bummer for a little bit. All right, okay, we're going to okay, get okay. sand depressing. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> this is also slightly the narcissistic hour. I'm going to be a little bit narcissistic. Here. Um, okay, it's the physical release tape for my album Proxy, which is still insane to me, and I'm a big uh-huh. big fan of. But I especially want to talk about it because the label that had put it out, Slime Fight Records, who was just one person and was my friend, is now dead. And that right. was kind of a deciding influence on the new album and kind of a real depressing thing that happened recently. And uh, rest in peace, Jules. You're very sorely missed. And uh, I'll treasure what we did forever. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty... Um... That's pretty, pretty that's pretty deep. That no, it's it's okay. It's okay to get deep. Um yeah, I saw in the notes on Burning Sky uh uh a note to Jules. Um and I, you know, it's it's interesting to sort of see how those really awful significant events affect people so much and affect the art that they're producing. Um how did you go along the lines of releasing a, a physical piece of media in the first place? Like was that something that you had sort of thought about for a while or it was not. She had messaged me like the day after Proxy came out because she was a big fan and she had a label. And uh, right, she asked if we wanted to do, if I wanted to do tapes, and uh, I said yes. And then it was a, a horrible, horrible experience. <laughs> Fun fact: very small artists out there don't don't do tapes. Just don't do it. Um, it took like six months, and I had all this music I wanted to release, and I couldn't because it would have you know killed the hype for the Proxy album. And it was it was a horrible, horrible bummer, and I think we all went a little bit insane. And uh-huh. uh, it also killed the record label, Slime Fight Records. Like she literally <laughs> got rid of it after the proxy tape because it was such a terrible experience doing it. And uh, some people ended up not getting their tapes, and Jules was like barely able to eat, so I just paid people back for like you know all the, all the tapes and everything. And so like right, I, I, had, right. I had money from Tunnelvision Kids at that point, so I just said you know I'll I'll, I'll pay them back. You just keep on surviving. And uh, it was it was a process to be sure, and not a necessarily great process. <laughs> but um, looking back, I, I obviously wouldn't trade it for the world because I became good friends with no, Jules of course. in the process, where she ended up featuring on the next album I did, Tunnel Vision Kids, and as right. local spells. And uh, she had been someone who had listened to a lot of my stuff and kind of given feedback on demos and things. And uh, yeah, she's she's very missed. Yeah, well, I I'm, I didn't realize that was uh, that was you were talking about Ruby Jules, um, who is, uh, 
I was a big fan of that Local Spells album as well. That was uh, something I really, really enjoyed. And I, I think, I think we great. had it on our... I think um, it was on our top albums of the year list uh, last year or the year before when it came out. Um, so yeah, that was that was something we talked about then and, and really enjoyed. So uh, shout out to Jules, R.I.P. Um, moving on to something maybe may, may, yeah, maybe more yeah. upbeat. <laughs> um, what is your favourite single? This is a cruel, horrible question, and it was I, I, you picked mm-hmm. it to be evil, and I know it, and so yep. I yeah, yeah. decided to not correctly answer it and answer it with something stupid instead. Uh, I'm picking Scream's Midnight Request Line. Okay, let me just write this down. <laughs> that's Scream with a K, and it's a great, it's a great, great song, and it's like uh, three I... notes and a drum beat, and it's one of the best dubstep dubstep songs you'll ever hear. Right, I, yeah, it's not it's not one I'm familiar with. Um, how did you how did you come across this in the first place? Well, Scream is a huge kind of early dubstep guy. When you think of early dubstep, you know people talk about Burial and they talk about you know the early James Blake stuff and things. But Scream is definitely up there as someone who's a big big influence to me. And when I was getting into to dance music, which we talked about a little bit already, uh, he was a big big influence to me. And hearing Midnight Request Line was kind of an insane moment because it's it's literally like three notes on a keyboard just it, it, it was like an arpeggiator on it and then like drums and that's it and it's one of the heaviest things you will ever hear and it's so good it's so so good the bass on that is insane that's really cool yeah i'm definitely gonna have to have a listen to this so it is you must. dubstep music something that you've sort of always had an interest in or is it sort of Particular choice just, choice cuts that have stuck out to you. That's just how my tastes in dance music lean. I'm much more into the kind of atmospheric, you know, stuff rather than any of the the big blaring stuff these days. And uh, you know, as far as kind of British dance music goes, I think dubstep was the kind of last time it happened. <laughs> it was you know we had garage, which was yeah. fantastic. We had two step, which was fantastic, and it all kind of evolved into dubstep, and then. Dubstep got co-opted by the Americans, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the the few bits of dance music we had in the UK kind of became grime and became other stuff, which is which is also fantastic, but you know, not often what I'm looking for. And uh, so I kind of go back the, to that time, and it's like the last time, kind of the stuff really excites me and gets me inspired and stuff, you know. Right. Yeah, that's really interesting because so like, I feel like a lot of those scenes have sort of vanished into into a very small um what am i trying to say into like very local scenes as opposed to being mm. a bigger uk thing so like obviously birmingham has a lot of uh, a lot of stuff um bristol is like super notorious for its massive <laughs> uh, edm scene um so yeah it's kind of it's kind of cool to see those evolve like the, the the genres live on in a way Absolutely. And they're great genres. We need more of that kind of style of music because now everything either sounds like house music or it sounds like hip hop. And that's fine. I like house music. I like hip hop. But sometimes you want the weirder niche versions, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in a way, that that's stuff that I've <laughs> sort of retreated to Bandcamp to find. This is the, the sort of thing that I find uh, because... Uh, Evan will send me some random link at like a stupid time in the night and I'll suddenly have like a ton of uh, weird electronic music to to dig through. Um, 
otherwise I don't really have a huge outlet for this sort of thing. I just sort of, I get sent things by Evan. Hell yeah. And Bandcamp is definitely the place to be. All right. We support the Bandcamp mm. union. We love those folks. God bless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very nice. Um, okay, cool. Now, if you thought that last question was uh, stupid, uh, wait till you hear this one. Uh, what is objectively the best album? See, this one is less stupid because there's an objective answer and it's Bell and Sebastian's oh, okay. If You're Feeling Sinister. Interesting choice. It's <laughs> so why, the best album. Why, why, <laughs> so why, why, why have you gone this way? What's, what's, what's drawn you to this? Because it's the best. Have you heard Bell and Sebastian's <laughs> If You're Feeling Sinister? Every song is perfectly written. It's all great pop music. It's like, you know, it's like if Pet Sounds was better. What's, what's the problem? It's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't fault that logic, but why? Uh, okay, so why why pop? Why would you why would you go for a pop album here? Of a you know, I feel like we've spent uh, 25, 30 minutes now talking about your um, affinity to uh, distortion and dance music, and then coming out with a pop album here is there is there sort of is that something that's influenced you at all, or is this just a guilty pleasure, or like how, how does how does this one come about? Pop music has been a huge influence on me because that's mostly what I listen to. If you, you know, if you catch me listening to something during the day, it's right. going to be, you know, Bell and Sebastian, it's going to be Modest Mouse, it's going to be David Bowie, it's going to be, you know, stuff that isn't necessarily the heaviest, kind of darkest, most experimental stuff. And it's because sometimes yeah. you just you just want an album that's sweet and nice and warm. And that's what If You're Feeling Sinister is, where it's something you could play to absolutely anyone and they'd be like, oh, these are, you know, like perfectly written songs. These are great. And that's why it's objectively the best. Yeah, nice. I mean, I can't fault that at all. Uh, is are you a fan of the the whole of the Bell and Sebastian discography? How are there others that you? I like up there as well? the first three albums, <laughs> as okay, most people nice. do. <laughs> I think Tiger Milk and If You're Feeling Sinister are perfect. I think Boy with the Arab Strap has good songs, but is maybe a little long, and that's mm -hmm. it. That's I. I don't need any more ever. They can yeah, stop nice. now. That you're done. Yeah, yeah, I can't, I can't fault this at all. Um, I was quite a big fan of uh, 369 Seconds of Light as well. Uh, for, for the record, I, I do love a good EP uh, from Bell and Sebastian. Um, I need to get into the EPs. This is where the money's uh, at. Okay, I'm making a note of this. <laughs> uh, nice. Uh, okay, cool. So, moving on, sidetrack a little bit. What is your favourite soundtrack? This is another one I have two answers for, because... Uh, that's again an insane question to ask any human being mm -hmm. the first one is Angelo Badalamenti's score for Twin Peaks which feels like a basic answer but it's 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 so good I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan it's like perfect I, I, yeah my second answer is Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross's soundtrack for The Social Network which is like perfect and the best thing Trent Reznor ever did <laughs> I mean that that alone is quite a bold one. Uh, okay, that's that's really interesting. So, going into, I, I mean, Twin Peaks is kind of the sort of thing I, I was expecting. Um, why why the Social Network? Is that a, a film you particularly care about, or is it more just the soundtrack? Sort of like how does the how does the soundtrack fit in with that? Well, it's a fantastic film. All right, it's the best thing David Fincher ever did, and uh, mm -hmm. it's the best thing Trent Reznor ever did because the score just the score fits it. Absolutely perfectly. And as anyone who has ever studied while listening to the Social Network soundtrack can tell you, it's perfect studying music or while doing something else music. And 
as much as the film is very, very important to me, I think that soundtrack just sticks in my mind and kind of haunts me with its kind of strange electronics and beautiful piano melodies and weird cover of the Hall of the Mountain King and all of the other insane things that are played in that movie. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily have a great defense. Like, it's not, it's probably, there's probably, you know, maybe better soundtracks done for movies in a musical sense, but mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things where I've seen the film so many times because it's so easy to put on that it has weaseled its way into my brain permanently forever and it's just going to sit there forever. Yeah, that is um, that is one thing I've always found about the social network. Is I am always surprised at how easy watching it is compared to other films. Um, in terms of background, I find the film itself can sort of worm its way in there, and then yeah, I, I really like how the, the the sort of ambient nature of it is like great background music, but not in a way that yeah. only Trent Reznor could probably pull off. Um, well, I guess I guess the the other exception is 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 maybe from Pics. Um, so in terms of like the ambient side of things, is this something that you were sort of keeping in mind when you were releasing some of the ambient stuff that you were talking about earlier? Not at all. I was just making ambient music, so it seemed easy. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't have a good answer for you. I'm not proud of any of that stuff. It's fine. There are some great ambient musicians who really know what they're doing and can make a great soundscape, and I'm not one of them. Our um, game soundtracks, uh, anything you're interested in at all? I am. I don't know if I can name one off the top of my head, but there's some good ones. I've become terrible in recent years where I will just turn off the music from a game and just, you know, listen to something else, which is a right. sin and bad, and I need to stop doing it. But um, I think games from my childhood stick out in my head a lot, like... Um, the soundtrack to Bastion or uh, Jet Set Radio I used to play on my original Xbox oh. when I was like eight. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of, of other stuff. I am, I um, I don't know what to call him. The guy who helps me make music and is also kind of a wonderful human being, Sean, also known as CEO. I credit mm-hmm. him as CEO because he wants to be credited as CEO. Um, he's a huge Jet Set Radio fan. I think he, he, he forces it into my music more than I ever would. So uh, the influence is definitely sometimes just because I want to impress him and he's like, you know, this it's like jingling keys in front of him. It just it just does it for him. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, it, with regards to muting music, I uh, play a lot of fighting games and when you have to listen to the same like two-minute soundbite over and over and over again, thousands of times, uh, I, I almost... that would imme- drive you insane. I almost... Yeah, I almost immediately mute everything. Um, the one soundtrack that I thought might fit in with the uh, the two that you picked would be um, Silent Hill Two, uh, which I don't know if you've if you've listened to that. I need to play but, it. I know the music but, mostly from uh, okay, yeah. the background of like video essays where <laughs> they always yeah, play the one yeah. song. <laughs> but it's it's a great soundtrack. I've heard bits and pieces. You know, I need to I need to actually play the game now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always the way. Uh, okay, cool. Um, so we've got three more to top it off. Uh, so the next question is, what is an album you love, but you don't want to hear again? This was a tough question, but I think I have a mostly good answer, and that's Suicide Self-Titled. Ah, yes, that is a great answer. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great record. I love a lot of the songs on there, but it's, it's very rare to catch me in a mood where, you know, I want to be hearing Rocket USA and Frankie Teardrop in the same yeah, like, yeah, 20 yeah. minutes. <laughs> Like yeah, that's, that, a bit that's always been my 
Yeah, that's that's always been my opinion of it. If someone says, "Do you like the album Suicide?" I'll say, "Yes, I love it." <laughs> do, do you want to listen to uh, Do you want to listen to Frankie Teardrop? No, not really. Uh, it's it's a great album, and most of the songs are like you know perfect kind of early electronic. You know, it, it's it's great stuff. It's like synth punk, but then that that final song makes it a bit of a trip. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. Have you were you ever into many of Martin Rev or Alan Vega's other other projects, or was was it sort of just a? a one I like Alan Vega's self-titled music. I think there's one song I like, and I can't remember the name of it, but it sounds very Mac DeMarco, and I can probably find it. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's good stuff, but I've never dove too deep into it. I wish I could say I had, but I haven't. <laughs> it's it's. I mean, it's worth looking at. Yeah, I've I've always been a big fan of his stuff. Um, it's something my. Uh, it's the sort of thing my dad would have introduced me to when I was much younger. Um, that sort of weirdo New York synthy yeah. synthy stuff from the eighties. Around I the time I think it's I was... his song "Lonely." I like Alan Vega. Okay, I think. nice, nice. I mean, it's it's great to get get more. I'm I'm adding uh, all of these to a list, uh, so it'll be at some point able to to have a look back through these ones. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of really cool stuff here. But yeah, Alan Vega is great. Um, that sort of New York. The, the, I feel like New York just has a knack for drawing in weird subcultures. Um, so, like, I've always been a massive No Wave fan, and I feel like Absolutely. Suicide channels a lot of the best of that genre while pushing it in its own weird way. In fact, I, I'm actually looking at the dates, and I, I'm wrong. Uh, the Suicide album predates No New York, um, so I guess it was being oh, influenced. At the, it was influenced by the same time because uh, there's only a year between them. Um, is uh, is is No Wave something you've ever been interested in? Is that is that something? No Wave is something I'm followed? a big big fan of, although I'm not very good with it. <laughs> I'm a big fan <laughs> of the early stuff. I like you know Lydia Lunch. I like the um, nice. I like a lot of the bands featured on No New York actually, but um, I've never dove too deep into it. I know the the basic stuff. Like I'm um, you know I like Sonic Youth. I like you know uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. some other stuff, but uh, I'm not a, a an obsessive. No, 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 that's, that's completely fair. Um, okay, cool. Next question. Which album is your guilty pleasure? Is it, is it even possible to have a guilty pleasure album? Uh, yes, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> it is. And I'll tell you why. It's because my answer is uh, my answer's a great album that I wouldn't be guilty about, but I'll, I'll explain why I'm guilty. It's Negative Land's Dyspepsy. That is a really interesting. Uh, that's a really interesting it's, choice. It's a great album, but my my cardinal sin is that sometimes I just listen to it as music, mm-hmm. <laughs> which it's all it's you know it's obviously meant to be parody and satire, and you know you're meant to feel you know kind of unnerved listening to some of the you know kind of poppy kind of you know melodies that are, are so kind of corporatized. But sometimes it just hits. Sometimes I just want to listen to Happy Hero in the background and listen to it like a song. And that's not how you're meant mm-hmm. to listen to that album at all. <laughs> I think Negative Land have always been really great at that sort of thing. Um, sort of making music that you Absolutely. feel like you shouldn't you shouldn't enjoy. And yet, uh, yeah, they're, they're just sort of such talented musicians. Um, they're like they're the residents, in- but listenable. Yeah, well, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about other satire music. Did you ever go for a, a residence phase or a mothers of invention phase? Or? The residents are interesting, and they're another one I haven't dove deep into. I like their uh-huh. first album. Meet the residents is good. Um, 
I've I'm not a huge satire music person, but yeah. I, I like some of it. Uh, a lot of it overlaps with stuff I do like, which is like you know Plunderphonics and uh, you know strange experimentally right. weird stuff and things like that. But uh, I don't actively seek out kind of albums that are satirical usually. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, so like there, I've I've always found the resonance really weird. It's like as I was first getting into music and. Uh, chatting in uh i used to i used to hang out in the deep cuts discord server a lot and it felt like everyone in there was the biggest fan of resonance ever and then i and then suddenly i felt like i didn't hear about them for like five years <laughs> like just nobody it's like they vanished um i don't know it's kind of weird to me that they're not more prevalent in the sort of underground music consciousness um I, like I don't really feel like be. they're yeah and, and same same for negative land it's like People are either into them and love them or have never heard of them. And I feel like more people are on the latter side, which I find really weird considering how prolific they were. Like Absolutely. They were they got so, sued by you too. Then you know, then they're the the famous band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah, actually, uh, I saw Negative Lander playing uh, in London in November, I think. Um at Oh god, one of the cool, one of the cool London venues, uh, the Oto. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that'd be a really interesting one to see as a live performance. Um, I guess on on that topic, on a on a side note, are live performances something you've ever considered? Uh, no, and I've never been to any album live performed ever. Never seen any band perform just ever. <laughs> really? Yeah, I don't know. Is... My, my family's poor, and I'm autistic, so it's, right. it's, 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 everything work against me there. <laughs> it's, you know, it's probably sensory hell. I'm I'm good, I think. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I I mean, I can't I can't fight your logic. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I guess it, for a lot of people, it, it's not something that is super accessible. Um, for me, it was always an issue with location growing up. It was like. I lived in a small town on the south coast and the uh, the nearest gig was in Southampton and that was two hours away. Uh, so I never really got to to experience that sort of thing until I went to university. Um, but like, you know, even even if it's close, it doesn't mean it's, it's accessible for everyone, um, which is a real shame because uh, they are they are pretty mm, fun. Maybe um, I'd love it, but uh, it's not something I've, I've really sought out. And the other problem with uh, playing live is... I have dyspraxia, which is hand-eye coordination issues, and right. uh, that kind of makes it hard to <laughs> perform music. Can't sing, can't do anything with my hands. I probably use a kick drum, maybe. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. I guess as a as a sort of electronic musician, you're you don't want to <laughs> fulfill the stereotype of of the the person who presses play on the yeah, laptop. Just um, hit the spacebar. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I've been to a lot of uh, live electronic shows where there's like really interesting sound performance. I guess it becomes more of a sound collage performance um, with like lots of crazy stuff going on. But like the second you move to the laptop, things the the whole vibe of it changes. It might as well be. I always wanted gig. to be like Pharmacon. You ever listen to Pharmacon? Pharmacon with a no. K. No, no, no. They're a crazy noise person, and I saw a live performance they did once, and it kind of blew my mind where they were, like, scraping on sheet metal with, I guess, con contact microphones on it or something, and it sounded like distorted right. guitars, and they'd, like, scream into it, and it would make weird, kind of strange, horrible sounds. And I come back to that one performance they did that I saw, like, all the time, because it it kind of blows my mind, the YouTube recording. It's like, I didn't know music could be this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
I think that is a that is something I have grown to appreciate more and more um, as Spotify has taken over the the algorithm. Uh, sort of seeks to destroy us all. Is the sort of the weirder side of uh, YouTube. Like growing up with uh, the YouTube recommendation feed as my sort of entry to a lot of weirder music, which is I think decreasing. It's like it's it's less common now, right? Probably, but I, I'm still experiencing it because I refuse to use Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't blame you. I can't blame you. Uh, okay, cool. That brings us to uh, one last question. Which album changed your perspective on music? I have a very easy answer for this, and it's Death Grips Ex Military, which is boring, but it's, it's <laughs> the truth. Uh, I mean, there are no boring answers on this, but I'm sure that is something that a lot of people would agree with. Um, it's a did, fantastic album, mixtape, it is, whatever it is. It, it really is. Um, it really it always surprises me how well it holds up. Like, it's something I come back to two or three times a year, and Absolutely. every time I hear Tachyon, I'm like, wow, I can't believe a human made this. This is, this is crazy. Every time I hear Spread Eagle cross the block, I lose my mind. Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw no them play. The aliens can't get none. <laughs> I saw them play at um, uh, Outbreak Festival this year. And again, it's just sort of wild to me that they've still got it. Like, they are they are really, really that good um, after, I guess, wait, how long has it been since X Military? Like 12 like years? Like 10 years? 11? 11 years? It was 2012, uh, wasn't it? Let's have a look. 25th of April, 2011. Wow. Jesus, 12. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Money Money Store was was 2012 because um, that was when they did the double the double album drop. Uh, oh my god. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time already in the I guess in the sort of the grand scale of music um, when you consider that you know they've released uh, they they've been inactive for uh, for almost half that time. Um, how did you come across Death Grips? Out of interest. I had had a friend of mine who was not a particularly good friend a long time ago mm-hmm. try to get me listen to the, try to get me to listen to the Money Store and it was you know as it would be when someone who only listens to you know like classic rock and you know hates rap music and all this stuff when you listen yeah, to the yeah, Money yeah. Store for the first time um, you don't get it <laughs> you really don't <laughs> get it so that was my first introduction to Death Grips and then when I was first kind of getting into you know into music uh, I had heard ex-military and i got it it was one of those things where you'd think the money store would be the more accessible album but uh i think it was just the time i heard it where you know i heard beware for the first time and it was like this is this is something else (laughs) you know this is this is that was the real perspective warper where it was like you know i don't even know what i'm hearing i don't know what these instruments are i don't know what this is but i'm you know i feel the vibe yeah, they have a, a pretty remarkable um, sort of way of capturing that in a, in a lot of their stuff. Uh, I, I just find it bizarre how such a obtuse album is somehow also so accessible. Like, I've played Death Grips around my wife quite a lot, and she listens to, like, almost exclusively the most cheesy pop music you've ever heard. And then I saw her climbing playlist the other day like, like a workout playlist and um she had like i've seen footage on there <laughs> just just from just from sort of listening to me uh put it on in the car that's randomly. a great then, one to work out to to be fair yeah 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 oh, it is it is it's like super high energy and uh and yeah it's also like accessible and 
uh, you know, ex- big air quotes, experimental. Um, yeah, it's it's almost a shame that they were sort of ruined by the internet in a way. Not ruined in the sense that the music is still the same, yeah. but ru- ruined in the uh, you know they developed such a stigma around them, uh, um, and it kind of poisoned everything else which fans would enjoy. You know, it's like right. techno animal. You know, came before it's yeah, in, yeah, yeah. comparisons. Poor JPEG Mafia, his whole career. <laughs> <laughs> Poor man. Yeah, it's been interesting to see Peggy uh, almost break out of that box over the last few years but I do remember when Vesteran dropped and it's just all you heard about or like just endless yeah. people being like oh I like I like Death Grips what can I listen to next it's like oh I guess there's like Dalek <laughs> uh, yeah okay. you listen to it's, Dalek you listen to Techno Animal uh, it's, not, it's not really the same like they're, they're quite different but uh, yeah fine okay that's another fantastic album that should go underappreciated is uh, the Dalek album I can't say the name of the uh, Necro Necros uh, album yeah yeah I know which one you mean um, yeah that is that is a really great album that is, that is one that's sort of stuck around for uh, it's a fantastic one I think it ages ages better every year um, fantastic well that is it we've, we're sort of we're closing in on the end of the interview is there anything you'd like to sort of say or or, or talk about before we finish up uh, not necessarily everyone should go listen to The Burning Skies or Campfire but Park Zero new album out now <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, th- I think I think everyone should do that as well. Um, we're going to put some links to some of the music you've been working on, especially uh, all the things that we've been talking about in in descriptions and things when this releases. So um, yeah, go and uh, go and click on those links and, and have a little look. Uh, cool. Well, on that note, uh, thanks for listening.